Hi, and thank you for listening to me introduce the Family Life Christian Center podcast. Whether you're listening because you slept in on Sunday or you're just back for more, we are so glad you're here. We truly believe God is doing great things in the earth through you. Whether it's your family, friends, coworkers, or people you've never met, you are called to touch the lives of those around you. We believe it's our job to empower you to fulfill your highest calling in Christ. So buckle up, because we know God has something special for you right here and now. Thank you for listening, and God bless you. Anyways, I want to talk today about something fun. Uh, it was, there was kind of an opportunity last week where we had a plan and then God said, I have a better one. And then he kind of planted a message for that Sunday. He kind of did a similar thing where it's not something I would have thought to talk about. But he said, I want you to talk about this. I said, okay, we're talking about it then. So um, I want to start with a story. I used to do musical theater, which is funny because I was the shyest kid I've ever met. To this day, I've never met a kid more shy than I was up until the age of like 14. Just like, and what do you do with a kid who's shy around people, who doesn't like bright lights and attention and just wants to sit in the corner? You throw them up on stage with bright lights and hundreds of people watching. And they thought, yeah, that'll be good for them. So I, uh, my, there was a CYT Christian Youth Theater was established in Illinois a while back. And my mom was part of one of the first productions back when it was just this tiny little organization. So my mom and sister participated in the first show, but my brother and I, she'd have to bring us along because she couldn't leave us at home. We didn't have childcare, so we were just kind of towed it along. So the next time the show came up, mom's like, you have to audition to be in the show because I can't take care of you and direct the show or choreograph the show, you know, unless you're a part of it. So like get in here so that the show becomes your child care, uh, which is brilliant, I think, on mom's part. So second show comes around, we audition, I get in it. It's the Wizard of Oz and I am a flying monkey. I get, uh, I got roller skates, I got a leather jacket, I got some goggles on and you're just rollerblading around so it looks like you're flying. I loved it. It was the best thing in the world. So Flying Monkey, that day comes and goes, and I was like, wow, I did it. Good for me. Next show comes up, Tom Sawyer. I am one of Tom's gang, which is essentially a townsperson. It's just like a, hey, you wear an outfit and you stand in the back. You're like That's like, yes, I'm in the show. So I got to enjoy that for a while. And then by around the third show, I start getting confident. I go, oh my goodness, I've been in two shows already. I'm like a seasoned theater veteran at this point. I have been not only a flying monkey, but a townsperson. So yeah, I basically run this show. And also, not only that, but my mom was always on the directing team because it was a small, intimate group of you know, early days. So there wasn't a lot of people around there, maybe 50 people that would audition for these shows. Nowadays, it's like 200. But uh it was just a small group of people. And I remembered saying, I'm going to audition for the next show. And of course, I'm going to get in. I've already been in the last two. So of course, I'm going to get in this one. And also, I go up there to audition. And there's my mom. And there's all of my mom's friends that are the directing team. So I'm like, these are basically my friends. I'm like, I'm basically guaranteed a role in this show. This is going to be the easiest thing in the world. So my mom's like, hey, what are you doing for your audition? I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure something out. Uh, it's like, you know, I'm going to get it anyways. And then the day gets closer. What are you doing for your audition? I don't know. I'll just do something. And then finally, the day of, I decide, being the genius, you know, probably 10-year-old that I was, saying, you know, I'm going to sing the theme song from Ghostbusters. You know, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. So 
I get on a bad outfit, I get a super soaker, and I slap a hand-drawn Ghostbusters logo on the super soaker. I mean, like, this is my proton laser beam. And I just walk back and forth across the stage, and something's changed in your neighborhood. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. And like halfway through, the sticker falls off my super soaker, lands on the ground, and I decide I got to get it back. So I spend half my audition trying to restick my sticker on my super soaker. I blow it. It was the worst audition <laughs> ever. I didn't sing half the lyrics right. I didn't really dance at all. Like it, my heart wasn't in it. It was a bad. But then I remember looking out at my mom and all of my friends. Uh, saying, yeah, okay, cool. Well, it's just a technicality, guys, because you already know I've been in two shows. I'm good at this, and we all know each other. So, you know, I'll see you later. So I think it was probably maybe 50 kids that auditioned for that show. They post the cast list. Who's going to get what? I'm like, you know, I think I might even be ready for a lead role. I think I'm ready for that. I'm 10. I'm ready for responsibility and fame. And, uh, and the cast list comes out, and I think out of, out of 50 kids that audition, I'm pretty sure 49 kids made it, and there was one cut, and it was this guy didn't make the show. Mom, how could you? I've been in shows. Like you cut your own son from your own show? Like how you needed the childcare. Like you shot yourself in the foot. Now you got to figure out how to take care of me because I'm not in your show. Like why would you do that? And mom kind of sat me down and, you know, like I came out of the room crying and she's like, do you want to know why you're not in the show? I'm like, yes. She's like, you did not try at all. You didn't put your heart in it one bit. You didn't practice. You didn't prepare. I know you're better than what you showed up there. And if you weren't my son, I would have saw that and say, this kid has no idea what they're doing. Problem is you are my son. And I thought the same thing. <laughs> uh, and she said, every other kid that got into this show, got into the show because they practiced, they thought through their audition, they gave it their best. And they're here because they fought for it, because they earned it. Uh, you seem like you just expected a role for free and that's not how we do things. So you were cut from the show. And as a 10 year old listening to all of that being like, oh, so like I'm not just given a free pass or you know, undue privilege just because mom and her friends are on the directing team. Like, well, that's humbling. <laughs> One might say that's humiliating. <laughs> You look at the cast list and everyone knows my mom's on the board, but I'm the only one that got cut. That's humiliating. That's pretty bad. I had every reason to be in that show and I failed. That's humiliating. So then later on, life goes on. And I ex exercise that humility. I grow a little bit. I get better at things. And then in high school, mom finds out, so I'm about 18 now, mom finds out about an open casting call for a project where Sony and Nickelodeon were teaming up for this project. They didn't say what it was, but they said, we're just doing open casting calls. Anyone can audition. So I thought, okay, cool. So, you know, humility, like I've learned from that. I've grown. So I'm just going to come and I'm going to bring my best. I'm going to prepare. So I get through round one. Pass, you're in. My brother is with me too. We both got to round two. Uh, my brother and I come back for round two. Pass for Danny, but you know, brother, actually, you can go home. That's enough. We don't need to see any more for you. I'm like, sorry, bro, but like, I'm going to round three. So we get to round three. There's only eight of us left out of like a thousand applicants for this process. So we're in the top eight. And I'm like, I am the best. This is amazing. So we perform with these guys. We crush it. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So we're like, what's next? They're like, well, if, if you pass this round, we'll call you because the next round is we'll fly you out to Nickelodeon, or to Nickelodeon Studios in Los Angeles. And I'm like, wait, 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 you're gonna fly us out to LA for the next round of auditions. They're like, yeah, like, and you're gonna pay for that. They're like, yeah, and you're gonna pay for my parents to come too. They're like, yeah, we will. I'm like, 
that's pretty cool. So two, three weeks go by, I get the call. You're going to LA. I'm like, oh my goodness, I am amazing. Like, and I, and I found out too from the person on the phone, they said only two people from Chicago made it. I'm like, out of a thousand people in Chicago, I'm one of two that made it. I must've been the first one. But even if I wasn't the first one, I was the second one. I am amazing. I'm the cool, I'm the most talented person in all of Chicago. And I wind up in LA and, and I'm thinking, well, if there's only two from Chicago, there's probably only two from California, two from New York and wherever else. There's going to be like six guys there. And then all I got to do is beat them. I get there. There's 20 guys there. Every one of them is significantly more talented than I am. I am immediately aware of this. As soon as I walk in, we do acting things, they crush it. We do singing things, they crush it. They do dancing things, they crush it. They toss their hair. Every one of them does it better than I do. So I'm, I'm suddenly then very humbled. I've been like, wow, like I thought I was really good, but all of a sudden I'm getting out there trying to do the dances next to these guys that are incredible. And I feel like an idiot the whole time. I'm like, okay, I just, I am not as good as I thought I was. So I, there were three days of auditions. I was cut halfway through the first day. They said, yeah, you, it was a mistake to bring you here. You can go home. <laughs> and I was like, hmm humiliated again. So gone again. And then I thought, all right, well, let's be humble. Apparently there's still room for me to grow. I am not the top. I am not the best thing around. I can get better. So I got better again. And then about three years after that, I decided, you know what? I didn't pursue medical school. So let's just try theater. I used to be great at theater. I made it to LA in that one competition. So maybe I can be a decent actor in Chicago. So I get an agent and they start, you know, sending me on these like, casting calls. And at one point they're like, hey, we got a really easy one for you. Low hanging fruit. It's a bit part in uh, like a CSI Miami, well, CSI Chicago, I guess, like a Chicago PD, some, some TV show in Chicago. All you gotta do is be the guy on the stand in the corner who says like, oh my gosh, look what just happened. That's crazy. Like, what, are, what did you see? They looked like this and that's it. It was like three lines, super simple bit part. I go to the audition, I read the lines and the casting directors literally laugh at me. They're like, hey, hey man, <laughs> you're a theater guy, right? I'm like, yeah. They're like, okay, this is TV. That is not even close. We need like 10% of that. Like, you got to change this. This is like, try again. So I'm like, okay. So I come back and I, I try it again. They're like, okay, that's, that's enough. Like, you can, you can go home. I'm like, I literally got laughed out of the audition for the tiniest little bit part in a show with a thousand episodes. Even that was above me. And I thought, humiliated again. <laughs> so I used to describe my life as a series of humbling experiences. And I think that's true probably for all of us in a lot of ways where we're doing okay, we think we're doing great, and then all of a sudden we fall flat on our face. We make a mistake, we don't know enough, somebody's better than us, we look like a fool. And that happens over and over and over again. But what I thought was interesting is every time I was humiliated, to me what that word means is forced humility, right? Because the root of humiliation is humility. So if I'm humiliated, humility has been thrust upon me <laughs> and now I've been humbled whether I like it or not. So now here I am humbled, but now that I'm humbled and I've taken a seat, mom said, you don't get a free pass in the show. You have to work for it and you're not that great. And I go, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to lower myself. And in, in, in LA, they thought, hey, you're not the best thing in the world. In fact, there's a lot of people that are much better than you. Take a seat. Okay, I will sit down. I will lower myself. And then in Chicago, hey, this is the smallest role in an insignificant show and you blew it. Take a seat. You have no idea what you're doing okay, we're going to sit down. But as soon as you lower yourself, all of a sudden you realize, I have room to grow. There are things that I don't know 
Like I thought I knew everything. I thought it was the best thing around. Turns out that's not the case. And there's actually plenty of room to grow. But I didn't recognize that until I took my seat in humility. And it was a kind of forced humiliation in this case, because I wasn't willing to accept humility on my own. It had to be thrust upon me. But at the end of the day, I was humbled and I realized I actually have room to grow here. And I began to grow again. So Humility is kind of the name of, game, the name of the game on this one, and that's what I want to talk about today, because humility, I think, is the key to several, if not most, if not all, of the blessings that God has for us. It's the key to growth. It's the key to a lot of things, and let me dive into this. So um, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 through 15, uh, it said, God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So what's interesting about the word then, it means that there's an order to things. So if this, then that. If you do this, then I will do that. Like that's, that's the system. That's the program. That's actually a coding. And an if then statement is a code terminology that begins an action. Uh, so if my people are called by my name, Christians called by the name of Christ will humble themselves pray, seek my face, turn from your ways, then I will hear them from heaven, right? Your prayers will fill my ears. It's not that God can't hear us. It's that I wonder maybe he just doesn't or chooses not to. But if you humble yourselves, I will hear you. I will forgive your sin and I will heal your land. So what we find here is that humility is the prerequisite, right? Requisite being required. So something that is required in advance, the prerequisite, humility is the prerequisite for connection with God, for forgiveness, for your sin or for whatever, uh, and healing, healing the land, and I would say healing in general too. Humility is the pre-required in advance in order for the Lord to hear our prayers, hear us from heaven, forgiveness of sins, and healing of the land. So if I'm not humble, I don't get those things, is what this says to me. So then Let's look, and it's funny because when you look up humility in the Bible, it's everywhere. It's not like I have to find the one or two scriptures that back this up. It's everywhere. So let's fly through a couple of these because I think humility is a little more important than we think. It's a lot more important than I thought it was until I began studying this, which is why I love that the Lord brought me to it because it's like, oh, this matters a lot. We need to be paying attention to this. So Proverbs 11.2, these aren't all on the, scre- on the screen because there's too many of them and I'm gonna go through them quickly. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. So what we find is humility is the prerequisite for wisdom. I can't be wise if I don't know that I'm not wise. But when I recognize I'm not, I don't know everything, then I can learn the next thing. So without humility, I can't be wise. Psalms 25, 9, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. He guides the humble and gives them wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 15, 33, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor. Second one, humility is the prerequisite for honor. Interesting, for, for me to be honored by those around me, which again, as we talked about honor, like Shalise talked about, seeing the gold in someone and saying, I see value in you and I wanna draw that up out of you. If I'm humble and I'm serving humbly, then people can see my service. They can see my gifts being expressed humbly and say, that's valuable. I want more of that. But if I'm in pride and I'm just trying to tell you, you should respect me, you should honor me, I demand that you give me appreciation. It's like, well, I don't, for what? I don't actually see what's in you. All I know is you're telling me to honor you instead of you just serving so I can honor you. Uh, So rather than my honor being a free gift, 
you're trying to convince me you're worthy of it. It's like, just show me, just be yourself and then I'll honor you. So humility is the prerequisite for honor. Uh, another one there, uh, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 29, 23. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Uh, next up, James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humility is a prerequisite for grace. And what is grace but undeserved favor? I don't deserve this, but I get it anyways, that that's grace. Grace, the, the power to do something you could not do before. It's undeserved power, it's grace, it's favor. And then in 1 Peter 5, 5, uh, clothe yourselves in humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humility is a prerequisite for favor and for grace. Next, Proverbs 22, 4, humility is the fear of the Lord and its wages, humility's reward is riches and honor and life. Humility is the prerequisite for riches and honor and life, wealth. Honor, long life comes from humility? Like, how is that gonna be the case? Like, why is that so important? You know, the fear of the Lord, praising God, saying you are great and I am small. Like you, I, everything I have was from you and everything I have is to you. That, that actually leads to riches and honor and life. Psalm 149.4, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Humility is a prerequisite for victory. That's interesting. Is there a battle in your life you just can't win? May, might it be your pride? Have you checked? Have you humbled yourself enough to say, God, I can't do this without you because maybe God's opposing you until you admit that because he wants to make sure that if you do get through this struggle, it's not gonna be because you're so great. It's because he's so great. So humility is a prerequisite for victory. Matthew 23, 11, 12. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. I would say those who exalt themselves will be humiliated. And that was me. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I don't have to tell you how great I am if I just am myself. If I am who God called me to be, people can look at me and say, there's gifts in you. Let me exalt you. We need more of you in the world because when you're around here, everyone else gets better and is blessed by you. And we want everyone else to be blessed. Let me exalt you. But if I'm in pride, I'm saying, hey, everybody, promote me, promote me, promote me. They're like, all you're doing is talking about yourself. Nobody improves when you're around. Only you improve, but it's usually at the cost of the people around you. We don't need more of that. Like that's it. We're all suffering so you can succeed. That's pride. But when it's we all succeed and we're all encouraging each other, that's humility. That we want to promote. So humility is a prerequisite for promotion. And I think something really interesting I found here too, and again, saying, God, why do you want me to talk about humility right now? Um, he brought up Ephesians 4.2, which is com be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. So what I find fascinating about this is that be humble and gentle patient, bearing with one another in love. I think in the Passion Translation, it says, so that you may protect your unity. It's like, that's interesting. So as we bear with one another, as we're patient, as we're gentle, as we're humble, we protect our unity as a body. And I thought, that's interesting. And then I just scroll a little ways down and, oh yeah, there it is again. Being humble and gentle is a prerequisite to the fivefold ministry. A few verses later, there's the fivefold. Also, I gave you prophets, apostles, evangelists, teachers, pastors, so that you can achieve maturity and oneness in the faith, oneness in the faith, experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. But the only way that the fivefold can happen is on the foundation of humility. Humility was mentioned before the fivefold, so humility is a prerequisite to the fivefold ministry. Therefore, in this church, 
humility is a prerequisite to us fulfilling our highest calling in Christ. Towards our church fulfilling its highest calling and for you fulfilling your highest calling. Humility is pre-required. It cannot be done without it. So I think, yeah, humility sounds important. I don't know if you know if it's important enough. Without humility, it cannot be done. It is impossible. Why is it impossible? Because God will literally oppose you. And you say, but God, we're trying to do your own vision. He's like, yeah, but you're trying to get to me without me. That's not how this works. I'm a part of the process. Like I'm the one who gave you the vision. I'm the one who's gonna bring you all the way there. And if you think you can do it without me, you're wrong. And in fact, I'm gonna make sure you don't. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If we say, God, teach us. We don't even know how to do this perfectly. We're probably gonna make a mistake, but give us grace, give us favor, God, because we can't do this without you. And that's where God gives grace. He gives favor to the humble. We can get here with grace. We cannot get here without it. And we definitely can't get out here if God is opposing us. So not only as a church, but as an individual, if you are called to be the top star in Hollywood, if you're called to be an evangelist in countries around the world, if you're called to build businesses or churches or whatever, you cannot do it without humility. I cannot stress that enough. So let's talk a minute too about symptoms of inhumility, which would be the opposite of humility, which is pride. So let's talk about pride for a second so that we can recognize when we are no longer being humble. So Oxford, their dictionary just defines it. I love it. It says, pride is the quality of having an excessively high opinion of yourself or your importance. So that sounds a little bit like me in LA. Like I am the best. I am important. My opinion of myself is through the roof. I'm at the top of every pyramid. Nothing could strike me down. Not even God himself could stop me. And God says, ha ha. So <laughs> having an excessively high, I'm so great right? Oh, great is my glory. That's a problem. That sounds like pride. God loves to oppose that. I don't know if he loves to, but he certainly does. But I want to say too, like we talked about, if humility is the prerequisite for all these things, I want us to also understand the inverse is that pride then will make sure it doesn't happen. So it's basically if, if humility, then connection with God. Let's flip that. If pride, then no connection with God right? Just flipping that around. Simple thing. So let's think about that again with all of those prerequisites. And I'm sure that there's more, but just with the ones that I mentioned. So pride then will keep you from connection with God. Pride will keep you from forgiveness. If I don't ask for forgiveness, that, you know, then it's basically saying, I don't need forgiveness. It's like, okay, then you won't get it. You know, (laughs) that's a problem. Forgiveness of sins, kind of important. Arguably salvation itself demands humility. It means coming to Christ saying, I cannot save myself. I don't have enough power or authority or influence. There's nothing I can do. I need you. That's humility that enables salvation. Because if we're never humble enough to ask for salvation, we don't get it. So humility is a precursor, a prerequisite for forgiveness. So pride will keep us from that forgiveness. Pride will keep us from healing. He said healing the land, but I believe healing as well. Pride will keep you from wisdom. You won't learn anything new because you already know it all. Therefore, you stop learning. Pride will keep you from honor. If I have to convince you that I'm great, you never get to experience it for yourself. Meanwhile, I'm hurting you while trying to help myself. It will keep you from honor. It will keep you from grace and favor because God opposes the proud. So if you're proud, if you're pride, in in pride, and and you have an excessively high opinion of yourself and your importance, God's going to say, nope, like, 
Everything you have is from me. As soon as you forget that, you're cut off. Like that's important. Um, next, it'll keep you from riches. It'll keep you from life. It'll keep you from victory. Again, what victory do you need in your life that might be attached to pride? Maybe there's a little humility that would create a breakthrough for you. Um, maybe it'll keep you from promotion. If I'm very proud, I'm the best person around here. I might say, so actually a great example of that is our, our worship team today was made up of almost entirely worship leaders. <laughs> That's incredible. Like what a beautiful picture and microcosm of humility and practice. Kenny is, is the appointed hired staff worship leader, but up here we had Alex leading worship next to Margie, who's led worship and does so beautifully, next to Molly, who's led worship and does so beautifully, and Rachel too. Like we have leaders who could all be leading, but in humility, every one of them is able to step aside and say, I wanna see how you do it. I wanna give you the chance to grow. I wanna give you the spotlight. I wanna give you attention over myself. If there was pride, if Kenny said, I'm the only one allowed to lead worship here, then none of our other leaders would be growing and they would just be slowly dying in service. And then Kenny would be up here all by himself. And that's pride in action, right? Things begin to die around us when we are stuck in pride, but with humility, everybody grows. And that's exactly what's happening on this worship team. It's a great example of that. Um, yeah, so let me jump ahead too. So yeah, pride will stunt your growth. And one other important thing is pride will kill your relationships. Because when we're in pride, we're no longer listening. Because when, we're, when we humble ourselves and we're talking to somebody, we have to assume there's something you know, there's some good in you that I don't have. And even if I have the same exact talent or the same exact gift, I still want to see yours grow. Even if mine's better or worse, I still want yours to grow because I'm elevating you above myself. So it doesn't matter if I'm higher or lower than you. It's about growing the other. But pride will kill your relationships because you're no longer fo focused on the other, you're focused on yourself. So we had a close, close family relationship. Um, it's one of the greatest heartbreaks of my life. And I don't think that's overstating it, is that we had, a, had very, very close family members who decided, uh, they, they would get offended often. And we'd say, hey, I'm so sorry, what happened? Like, well, you said this and I thought you meant that and that really hurt my feelings. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, that was not my intention. That's not my heart. I'm sorry that you thought that, but that's absolutely not true. The truth is I love you. I care about you. I would never say that. Like, I love you so much. But their response was, okay, but you still hurt my feelings and the words still came out of your mouth. So you're responsible to fix my pain. And it was like, am I though? Like, I, I understand you were hurt, but like, it wasn't like I did anything bad against you. It's actually in your own head. That's what caused the pain. So it's also in your head that the healing is going to have to come from. Like, I told you the truth, but beyond that, it's kind of up to you to believe that truth. You know, I can't make you believe that what I'm telling you is true. And they're saying like, no, 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 I have pain in my life and you're responsible to remove it. You're responsible for my pain. I thought, again, I, d I think in a lot of ways, if you would actually be humble for a second and realize you actually had some part to play. It was your own thinking that actually created the pain. The words themselves were harmless, but the way that you twisted and ingested them is what caused the pain. So it's like, so actually, I think, you know, like if we could actually just talk about that, I think we can actually clear this whole thing up. If we talk about how these things get twisted and figure out together how this thing gets miscommunicated. They said, no, you're responsible for my pain, fix it. And I'm like, I don't know how to, I mean, it could be nice to you, but again, it's like, no matter what I say, if it can get twisted, I can't, I don't know what to do about that. It's like, doesn't matter, you hurt me, fix it. I'm like, I, so it got to be this whole issue about you're responsible for my pain, 
or am I responsible for my own pain? Because I know if my own heart gets hurt, I can forgive, I can meditate on the truth, I can, I can offer grace and humility. There's a lot of things I can do to fix my own heart, but I, can, I don't know how to fix yours. Like Jesus is the only one who could do that. So it got to be this issue back and forth and back and forth and months went by. And eventually I said, okay, here's the deal. You have not budged at all. Now here's the deal. What you said is that I'm responsible for your feelings. And I want to believe that's true because if that's true, that means I'm at fault and I can do something about it. Like I can change. I really can. If I know that I'm wrong, I will do what I can to change and make things right. But I said, but here's my problem. I said, I'm trying to understand your position of I'm responsible for your feelings. So I said, I want you to see this. I pulled up my phone, I put in Google, and I said, um, other people are responsible for your feelings. And I said, like, this is your argument. So I Googled this trying to figure out who out there is arguing on your behalf that I can learn from. And I clicked search, and then I said, okay, do you see my problem? And I scroll through about 30 pages of all these different articles saying, you are responsible for your own pain. Like your feelings are not other people's problems. I'm like, as I'm looking for your opinion, all I find, and I mean, Google's a small place. There's not a lot of opinions out there on the internet. You know, like and everyone thinks the same online. Everyone thinks the same in the world. So I don't know how in this small little, you know, Google webpage here, I can't find a single person arguing your thought. And it's not that I don't want to listen to you. It's not that I don't want to do what you want, but also if it's not true, I don't want to do a lesser form of relationship or do something that I know is unhealthy just to make you happy. It's like, what if we both said, rather than trying to do it your way or my way, what if we both did it the right way? What if we searched together for the right way and we made it less about who wins this argument? And what if we just said, who knows the answer and let's find them together? Because our goal is to come back together. Our goal is not to win. But right here, I said like, so here's the deal. I cannot find your argument. So you're going to have to consider mine. Like, please just hear me out because I'm pretty sure it's, it's truth. Not that it's right and I win, but that it's the true way to move forward and come back together. And they said, that's offensive. How dare you do that? You manipulated that webpage. This is lies. I'm not going to read a single book you offer me. I'm not going to listen to a single thing that you say. Pride has to protect itself. So pride protected itself and that relationship is dead to this day. There's no relationship there at all. And if the relationship is ever to come back together, it has to be through humility. Humility is a prerequisite to that restoration happening. Because if we come back again saying, I refuse to listen to you, but I want you back in my life. It's like, how do you do that? <laughs> like, hey, I really want you in my life, but also you're wrong and you're dumb and I don't respect you. What? You know, <laughs> can we come back together saying, hey, maybe I messed some things up. Maybe you messed some things up. But can we come back together and just realize we're both flawed people trying to do our best? And can we together both humbly look at somebody that might have a better answer and figure out the truth together? Can we both humbly be explorers and students of the truth and work alongside each other instead of against each other? But until that humility comes into play, that relationship will never heal. That's just the truth. And that's dead by pride. So I also want to warn about one other thing too, because this can also go too far the opposite direction. A lot of times people will say, um, maybe you know this, uh, the term is toxic humility. And there's a version of humility that's actually pride in disguise. That's kind of like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Again, the idea with humility is putting, elevating people around you and making other people more important than yourself. And what toxic humility is saying like, I'm awful, I'm bad, I'm terrible. I'm gonna dig in the ground and beat my head into a hole so other people say, hey, what are you doing that for? You're so great, I love that. You go, oh, tell me more. 
And, you know, well, you're valuable. Uh-huh, that's really good. Okay, cool. So, like, can you help out with something? Oh, I can't help with that. I'm so bad. I can't do anything right. And I'm just the worst. And I can't do that. And just waiting for somebody to take the bait and say, yeah, no, nobody loves me. Do you? And then you're trying to, again, draw attention to yourself, saying, no, I do love you. And even if it's true, it's manipulation. You're actually using toxic humility to actually draw attention to yourself, which is actually then pride. We've gone full circle. We've gone from, I'm, I'm proud, so I'm going to humble myself. But if I keep humbling myself, I'll get attention and the focus will be back on me. We've gone full circle back to pride. Beware of that. Somebody lowering themselves uh, detrimentally for attention is not real humility. So then, um, well, sorry. So one other thing I want to say here too is that if you are in pride, here's, here's what's in store for you, what you have to look forward to. If you are in pride, you have kind of three ways that this can go. Number one is you never grow or do anything better than what you're currently doing. You're stopped. Your growth is stunted. There is a ceiling above you that you will never break through as long as your pride is there. That relationship that's dead, until that pride is lifted off, now we can actually grow again. But as long as that pride is there, I'm stuck and I will never get past this ceiling. The other thing is you will choose humility. That's the other option. But there's two ways to become humble. One is voluntarily and one is involuntarily. You can either humble yourselves or you can be humiliated. That's what I like to do, as I like to just be prideful until life told me, nope. <laughs> and then I was forcibly humbled by being humiliated to, in order so that I could be humble again. But I would argue a much better plan is to say, what if I just took a step back and thought, I'll bet, I'll bet this person has something to teach me. Lord, I can't do this without you. Lord, everything I have comes from you. If I choose humility, that's a much easier process than having to stand up here and be publicly humiliated because I was blinded by my own pride. That's a bad way through. I can choose humility, but humiliation will be forced upon you if you refuse to choose humility. So I just want to let you know. Um, and I thought even another fun story, this is, it's one of the silliest stories of my life. I've got a lot of silly stories, but this one, it's just funny every time I think back about it. I was in a boy band for five years that's not a joke. That's a real thing. Bo band of boys doing pop songs together and trying to make it big as big rock stars and celebrities, like thinking we're going to strike it big. And we were so proud of ourselves that whole time. I remember the conversations we had, the way that we'd talk about other musicians and things like that was the idea like, these guys have no idea what they're doing. These guys can't even hold a tune. These guys can't stay on beat. They don't have any, they look dumb on stage. Like these guys are the worst. And it's so funny when you think back about it now, because it's like during that whole five years of being in this band, we never released a single song. We never earned a single dollar. We never got written up in a single article. No one ever reviewed our music because no one really ever heard our music. Like we achieved nothing, yet we were so proud of ourselves saying, look at how amazing we are. Look at our importance and our talent. We are amazing. And that is kind of that overthinking. You're thinking too much of yourself excessively. And when I think back on it now, it's humiliating. <laughs> like We didn't do anything of value. Someone says, wow, you're in a boy band. It's amazing. Where'd you guys play? Well, we never really played anywhere. Okay, it's like, well, were you guys on Spotify? No. Well, where can I find your music? You can't. You know, like, <laughs> that's humiliating. You know, it's like if we were not blinded by pride, we would have realized much sooner, 
you know, we could actually use some help. Like, <laughs> maybe we should play a small venue before we try and go for top of Sony's charts, you know? Like, maybe we should start small, be humble, not despise humble beginnings, but just push forward and learn and grow in whatever humble way we can currently achieve. Um, <laughs> so that's funny. Life is just a series of humbling events. So... So anyways, I want to define then humility. So what are we going for? It's not pride. That's going to kill us. Humility is necessary for many of these other great blessings of God. So what is humility then? So Webster's had two definitions. Webster's was preaching to me. The first definition is less, less than that. But the idea of uh, humility is the quality or state of not thinking that you are better than other people. Us in that band, we're better than everybody out here. That's pride. And meanwhile, we, did, we had a ceiling. We never broke past the ceiling because we never lost that pride. And the name of the band was called The Lookers. How do you have any pride in a boy band called The Lookers with no mentionable achievements? I don't know, how do you, pride will, pride will do that to you. So anyways, it's a prideful name. That's right, it's right there in the name, yep. So uh, it's the quality state of not thinking that you're better than other people, saying it's not about comparison. And actually 2 Corinthians 10, Verse 12, uh, you know, the, the apostles writing to these other churches saying, hey, just a warning for you guys. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with other people who think that they're great, people who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. That is what it says. So if it's not wise, it must not be humble because humility is a prerequisite for wisdom. So if it's not wise, then it's not humble. So it's pride, actually, that causes us to compare ourselves and measure our greatness based on who's around us. Because pride's the one who says, I want to be better than everybody else in this room. I want to lift myself up and push everyone else down so that I stand the tallest. That's pride. By comparing myself to others, if I'm doing that just so I could lift myself up, that's pride. Now, if I look at the people around me and say, my goal is not to figure out who, which of the people in the room I'm better than, but what if I said, if humility is the state of not thinking you're better than other people saying, well, then you must be not even better than, but just inherently good all by yourself. Maybe it's not about better than, maybe it's just about better. Like the only person you should ever worry about being better than is yourself yesterday. If you're constantly worrying about who was I yesterday and how could I be just a little bit better today? That is a useful comparison. That's one where you could say, what could I do today that's going to get me one step closer to Jesus, one step closer to my destiny, one step closer to wisdom? What can I do today to be better than myself yesterday? But if I'm looking at people in the room saying, am I better than you? Am I better than you? Am I better than you? That's not helpful because if I realize I'm better than someone, how am I going to honor somebody who I think is less than me? Because honor is actually a lifting up. Humility is a lifting up of the other. So it's not about comparison. When they compare each other to each other, that is not wise. And that is not humility. Because humility is going to lift up others around you. Uh, and I'll read a different definition before coming back to part two of Webster's. It said, biblical humility means believing, that what, believing what God says about you over anyone else's opinion, including your own. Now, if I don't have to worry about who I'm better than, and I can just be comfortable and secure in the fact that God says I have value and that's enough for me. It doesn't need to be more or less than anyone else around me. God says I have value and that's enough for me. And you know who I am better than? Me from 10 years ago. Me from the lookers, Danny. We've grown since then. Good news, everybody. I have improved. 
But it's because I'm not, I'm no longer comparing myself to other people around me. I'm better than this guy. I'm better than that guy. She's awful. She's great. I'm going to get, I'm going to get her someday. I will beat her. It's not about competition anymore. It's about God, what are you doing in me right now? How can I become more of who you're calling me to be? The only race I'm running right now is towards Jesus. And that's not a competitive race. We're all moving there together. So it's a, it's a cooperative race. Um, and then the last of that de- definition was to be biblically humble is to be so free of concern for your own ego that you unreservedly elevate those around you. That is beautiful. I don't care if it makes me look dumb. I don't care if I'm good at music and Kenny's good at music and I elevate him above me. And that means that I am now lower. Even if I, if I promote my own replacement, if I promote myself into obscurity, that's fine. I'm not worried about my ego. God will take care of me. God has me on my own journey. But what I do know I have to do is to elevate everyone around me. I don't care how it makes me look. I'm here to be humble. I'm not here to be the best, right? I'm here to grow on my own. I want to fulfill my highest calling in Christ, but that's not a competition. That's a personal journey. And on that journey, I can build up others around me. Um, And the last thing too, that second Webster's definition, again, the dictionary preaching to me, humility is defined there as freedom from pride or arrogance. Isn't that interesting? Freedom from the prison of pride. You think about that, being proud, I have a ceiling I can't break through. I'm in a cage. I'm stuck in here. I can't grow anymore. But humility is how we open the lid. Now I can grow again. Humility has freed me from pride. Like we talked about in the workplace. If I have to constantly convince you that I am valuable, I am worthy of honor, you should, if you should promote me, you should care about me. And the only way that you do is if I have to constantly pressure everybody to give me honor that I tell them that they owe me, then as soon as I, as soon as I stop or as soon as they see the truth about like, hey, you're actually not that great, then my, my, it all falls apart. I get nothing anymore. Because if the only way I know how to get honor is to coerce people into giving it to me, then, you know, there's no freedom in that. That sounds exhausting. Having to convince everyone else around me that I have value. What if I had humility and say, I have the value God gave me and that's enough. But if I'm in pride and I have to convince everyone, I have value, I have value, love me, care for me, appreciate me. And then people are looking at me being like, you're not doing anything good for anyone other than yourself. Like, and actually you're not even correct in most of the things you say you're great at. You're not nearly as good as you think you are. Like you want me to give you honor, but you're actually not even earning it. You're just spending all your time asking for it. Like what if you just did, did actually be yourself, express your gift, and then we'll give you honor because you'll actually be doing something valuable. But it's like, that sounds like a prison. That sounds exhausting being stuck in pride. So humility is freedom from pride and arrogance. And one last definition that I think is the catchiest of all of them is a Rick Warren quote. It says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not about me. It's about how many people can I lift up around me? One other thing there, Philippians 2, verse three and four, talking about Christ's humility. The instruction here is says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's not about you. It's not about your own achievements. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. Now, that sounds kind of like the fivefold, doesn't it? If all of our gifts are for the nurturing and equipping of the people around us, if my gift has been given to me so I can give it, that sounds like you don't look out for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, I might think, well, if I don't look out for me, then who is? 
I can't look out for anyone else because then who's going to look out for me? That was like my grandfather. It was like his famous line was, I look out for number one. I look out for myself. He was not a very happy man. <laughs> um, he got better towards the end of his life, but that was like his main thing. And that was a very popular phrase. It still is, I think, in a lot of ways. But you think about if I don't look out for myself, who is? Well, you think about, well, one, God is looking out for me. And if I'm humble enough to appreciate that and say, God, you are looking out for me. I trust you. That's freedom from pride right there. And the other thing, not looking to your own interests, but the interests of others. If I'm not looking out for myself, who's going to look out for me? If I'm looking out for all of you, who's looking out for me? All of you. <laughs> if this is a healthy church body and everyone's looking out for each other, then I no longer am looking out for myself. So one person looking out for one person is over. But now every person looking out for one person, that sounds like that's actually effective. That's actually useful. That's a huge benefit. That's a good trade. So you might think, wow, it's going to be hard to think about other people. It's like, yeah, but other people are thinking about you. That's a blessing. Like, don't forget that. So anyways, a couple takeaways, kind of what I want to do moving forward here. One, how do we develop humility? How do we grow in humility? Number one, remember that we are not big. Jesus is big. God is big. Like any, any signs and wonders, any miracles that we can do in this church feels very powerful and very strong. Look how amazing I am. No, 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 no. That's not me. That's Jesus. Everything we have is Jesus through us. Every gift has been received from Jesus. So it's not that we are big. It's that God is big. We sometimes confuse God's victories with our victories. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, 10. Um, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough by itself. My grace alone, that's enough. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I might say, wow, there's less of me, less of me, less of me, which means more of God, more of God, more of God. So that could be hard to say if I'm gonna think about myself less, if I'm not that important, and other things are, I'm actually giving God room to step in and say, okay, now that you're not thinking about yourself, let me show you what you can think about now. There's new eyes, new sight, new priorities once we remember that God is big, I am not big. Um, second is gratitude. Gratitude is best friends with humility. They go hand in hand. They ride tandem bicycles together. They belong together. Gratitude is a beautiful thing because like we sang this morning, you are worthy of it all, for from you are all things and to you are all things. We don't deserve anything. Nothing we have, nothing that we are was something that we created by ourselves apart from God. Every single thing came from him. So it's easy to say, okay, like I might think to myself, well, God, you need to fix my life because you know I'm entitled to riches and glory because you said you'd do that. So you go, you give me what I deserve. You know, or people say, I deserve some respect around here. Like, I am entitled to respect. I have authority. I deserve honor. I deserve love. I deserve some appreciation from my kids or my spouse. I deserve this. I deserve that. I deserve a job. I deserve a paycheck. I deserve housing. Really, you deserve hell. I hate to burst your bubble, but if the wages of sin are death, what we deserve is hell. So you'd say, okay, well, how about this? You can have all that respect and that paycheck and that everything else, but you also get hell. So like, they're all together you know, do you still want it? <laughs> do you still want what you deserve? Or do you want something better? Because there's something else called grace. That's much better than what we deserve. Because if we remember grace, we're not actually entitled to anything. 
And everything we have is a gift from God. Something my mom remembered there said, you know, when I auditioned for that show, she reminded me, I have authority and influence here. You don't. <laughs> you don't. You don't deserve a role in this show. You're not entitled to it, right? It, it is a gift to be a part of the show and you forgot the gift. You're in pride. We're not gonna let that in here. And after I graduated college, my dad said, hey, we actually have a decent business now. We're making some money for the first time ever. We used to be a paycheck to paycheck, small family. And now we actually had like actual real people money uh, that you can live off of. And my parents had a business and they said, once you graduate college, don't expect that you can come back to the family business and say, I deserve a paycheck. He's like, you deserve nothing. Like, <laughs> I love you and you're my kid and that's great, but I'm not gonna give it to you just because you think you deserve it. He said, you're gonna work somewhere else for another company, for another person, another boss. You're gonna have to learn how to do it on your own before you can come and do it over here because I don't want you to come here until you have some value that you gained out in the wilderness, right? You don't deserve a job here. If I give you one, that is a blessing and a gift to you. But so that I didn't forget it, he said, just so you know, you're not allowed to work for the family business until you, you have gone out and brought back something of value. You know, like working for the family as a gift. So that was beautiful because that now said, okay, I'm not entitled to that. I actually have to go out and do something. I have to humble myself and say, I don't know anything about anything. I have to go in the real world and say, hey, does somebody want to hire me? <laughs> they say, you're useless. Why would we hire you? Being like, I don't know. What could I do? And like, okay, let me teach you. And now I'm growing. My dad said, I want you to grow before you come back here and just start like taking money from the family. I want you to grow the family business. So you need to grow before you can come and enjoy this. So I think that's true with God too. I don't have money, God has money. I don't have power, God has power. <laughs> I don't have gifts that did not come from God. God has gifts, I'm borrowing his gift. Like I said before, Avery likes to play birthday where she'll bring back a pretend cake and pretend presents and say, today it's your birthday. And then we'll all sing happy birthday and she'll give them a present, which is just one of the toys from her back or from the back room. And I'm like, that's funny, Avery. You know, she'll give me her toys as a gift to me and I'm like, Avery, this is the toy that I got for you. Like, You actually don't have any toys. Everything you have is a gift from me. And I think God looks at us the same way. And when we give our toys back to him, he says, that's cute. You know, <laughs> this has always been mine, you know, but it's good to know that you still want to give it to me as an act of love. Like, that's beautiful. Um, so anyways, when we remember that we don't want what we deserve, we're not entitled to anything, then everything becomes a gift. I don't deserve a paycheck. Thank God for this paycheck. That's a blessing. I don't deserve respect from my, my spouse or from my kids. I've earned that. And I'm grateful to have that with my kids. That's valuable to me. I don't, I don't just get it because I cultivated that and I'm grateful for that. I don't deserve a house, but I have one. Praise God. That is a gift to me. So gratitude makes it easy to be humble because when we rec recognize that we're not responsible for any of the blessing in our life, God is, we say, oh, then actually everything is a gift. Praise God, I am small, you are big. Like it is all, anything I have is just because of you. Um, and then the last thing I wanna talk about is um, just wanna say as we're moving forward to lift others up. The people in your life, not just people with different gifts, the same gift, I think your humility is gonna be tested by how well you celebrate other people, especially in things that you want. If I wanted this job forever and ever and ever and then my best friend got it, can I still celebrate you? I'd say, you got the thing that I wanted and that's bad for me. But if it's about my ego, then you've hurt me personally. But if it's about you succeeding, you're succeeding, praise God. You know, what's more important, your ego or the success of others? How much does that matter when you're making your decisions? So celebrating others around us. And the last thing I wanna say too, is that you will never outgrow the need for humility. 
And I think Christ is the best example of that because Philippians uh, 2, starting in verse 5, in relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage for his ego. He never used the fact that I'm God so that he could increase his own personal gain. He only used the fact that he was God to increase the gain of others, to grow other people, to bless other people. Um, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, kneeling down before the disciples, washing their feet with his own clothing, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So imagine Christ up there saying, imagine it's you for a second, up on the cross saying like, I don't like this at all. I'm the God of the universe. I don't need this. This is not correct. I don't deserve this. I'm not entitled to this kind of treatment. This is ridiculous. And I'm not comfortable. I don't like the nails. I don't like the thorns. You know what? Forget the whole thing. Everybody, you know, rain it down, bring in the angels, wipe them out. I'm out of here. Like if it's about my ego, he doesn't stay on the cross. But if he's on the cross thinking, you know what? I'm actually not going to think about what this means for myself or how this hurts right now. I'm thinking about how this is going to bless others. So even though he is, again, if humility is thinking that you are less than other people, he is greater than everybody. How does the person at the very top of perfection say, I'm not going to think of myself as greater than, even though you are objectively better than every other person that has ever been or ever will be. He still, even at the very top, chose, I'm going to think about everybody else. And it was that heart that led him to death on the cross. So therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every other name and that the name that every sorry and at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father to the glory of God the Father and again there maximum humility i was the best but i made myself the least maximum humility resulted in maximum promotion exalted to the highest seat, the high, the name above all other names. The only way you get maximum promotion is with maximum humility. So at no point, no matter how good you think you are, or how good you'll ever be, or how successful or how rich or how wise you ever are, humility is never something you don't have to do. In fact, the higher up you get, the more you need humility. I have to go lower than I've ever gone before so that I could get higher than I've ever gone before. And when I reach new heights, that's not saying, great, I'm here now and I'm good. Now I can be prideful. No, 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 no matter how hard you get, I have to go lower to get higher. Humility is, everybody is assigned to humility. Nobody's above it. Nobody will ever be above it. If Jesus can do it, so can you. He was better than you and he could do it. <laughs> um, so anyways, last thing I want to say is that coming back to the beginning here, you cannot fulfill your highest calling in Christ without humility. It just can't be done. Pursuing the fivefold will not work unless we are humble enough to celebrate each other, to offer who we are as gifts to each other. It's not a competition. It's not who could be the, the most prophetic or the most apostolic or the evangelist who saved the most souls. It doesn't matter. It's about everybody getting better in their own personal walks, on their own personal journeys. It's not a contest. It's a team effort to everybody grow each other up together. That is the fivefold. That is the future of this church. And we cannot do it without humility. Um, So I just want to challenge you today. Be humble. Think about others. Don't let pride keep you from wisdom, from honor, from truth, from salvation. Uh, Humble yourselves before you are humiliated. (laughs) That's all I have today, everybody. Thank you. Yeah.
Thank you for listening to the Family Life Christian Center podcast. If you enjoyed that message, please subscribe and share us with your friends. We believe the Holy Spirit is alive and active in the body of Christ and wants to have a relationship with us as he guides us toward our destiny. If you'd like to partner with us in your giving, please check out our website at www.familylife.cc giving. Or you can text GIVE to 844-955-0993. Thank you for listening and stay blessed.